here to, with everyone together in one place. And I know that we still have some folks that are out that are sick right now or struggling with various things. And of course, it's Labor Day weekend, and so people are out and about. Uh, but it is good to come together. I, uh, with my exuberance and getting started with the Lord's Supper, it's the first time I've ever done a Lord's Supper at the beginning of a service like that. I just felt like it was appropriate as we came back together after 18 months of this crazy separation uh, to just emphasize who we are and why we're together through the, the celebrating the Lord's Supper together. But I forgot some things. Uh, I'm supposed to give you a couple of announcements, especially for those of you that are joining us online. And so we are a church who believes in prayer. You hear that we every Tuesday night we gather and we pray for the lost, but we also uh, pray for those among our brothers and sisters in Christ that are hurting. And if you have a prayer request, you can simply send that to us. The easiest way is fbcwithtaga.org slash prayer. There's a form there that that comes to us. One of the ways we pray for each one of those requests is every uh, Wednesday morning, the staff gathers in our staff uh, meeting, the, one of the first things we do is pray together, and we pray for those requests. If there's a box on there, you can check if you want that sent out or not sent out to the church as a whole, we can send that out as a church-wide prayer request. Second, uh, if you are new with us, whether you're new in here or you're new online, uh, you can give us your information if you want to contact us through fbcwithtaga.org slash contact or connect, I think is what it says. Somebody needs to put it up on the screen. Uh, Susan will let us know, yes, slash connect. See, that's how my wife keeps me in line. Uh, FBC would talk slash connect. And what we do for every new visitor or new, new uh, con connection like that is we also make a donation in your name to uh, Compassion International, but not to the giant Compassion International organization. There are two Baptist churches in Managua, Nicaragua, who we specifically sponsor children at those compassion centers. And that money goes to those compassion centers uh, to help. We had launched that ministry right before the pandemic with high hopes of being able to have a more clear connection there. We're continuing what God's called us to do. Hopefully, when we get through all of this and travel opens back up, we'll be able to be uh, uh, more relational in how we connect with those pastors. And then finally, uh, if you want to give, of course, there's the four offering boxes that are around the auditorium. You'll notice we did not pass the place to take up an offering. Uh, but if, if the Lord leads you to give, you can also do that online. That's how I do it, how I give my tithes and offerings. It's the simplest way. It's fbcwatagaorg slash give. And hopefully I got that one correct. So there you go. There's the things that I forgot earlier. We also today launched our uh, uh, new format for our growth groups. Now that we've come back together in one service, we have one growth group hour uh, on Sunday mornings. And I'm excited about that. The group I was in uh, had a lot of, had a great group. They split up and, and had a couple good teachers in there. A lot of the rooms have been painted, refreshed. If you are not coming to a Bible study, Think about coming to one of those at 9.30 on Sunday morning. And if that doesn't work for your schedule, we're going to offer one of these growth groups right now. We hope to do more in the future at an off hour. It's going to be on Wednesday night at 6.30. So especially if you have kids or youth that you bring up here, uh, John Wilson, one of our deacons, is going to be leading that, the same material, studying the same material, but on Wednesday nights at 6.30. So you can join in a discipleship group that way. So a lot of opportunity there. And you will notice, if you have not already, in a moment, I'm going to begin to read the text for the sermon, and you're going to go, uh-oh, 
That's the same thing we studied in the growth group hour this morning, if you're in growth group. That's okay, because that's our plan. It won't always be the exact same text, but what we study in our growth groups from here forward until the Lord changes things is going to have a connection to what the Lord's leading us to do in the overall vision and direction of the church. So we launched this now when I had four sermons left at the end of my series in John. And so this week, you studied a passage in John chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. And the focus of the growth group hour was who do you trust or who can we trust? The focus of this message today is going to be a little bit different. It's the same text, but there's another important theme. In fact, there's a couple. There's, a, there's actually a third one we could have gone with, but there's another important theme that I want to uh, bring to you today, and that is the, the commissioning of his disciples by Jesus, the sending out of those disciples who were gathered in the upper room that day in fear, because this just is important. In fact, it goes hand in hand. Last week, I pointed out that for the very first time, John used the language of family uh, in referring to the disciples as brothers. First time. In all of John, he had never called them brothers before. He'd called them his friends, but he had never called them brothers. Well, there's a reason for that. They could not be his brothers until Jesus died and rose again, and they could receive forgiveness of their sins and be brought into the family of God. We celebrated that with the Lord's Supper as we have confessed Christ as our Savior, received the cleansing of his blood, and, and joined in, with, in belief in what Christ has offered us in that gift. We have become a part of God's family. Now, as a part of God's family, we not only have the privilege of being heirs of God, sons of God, we also have the responsibility of the family to fulfill the mission of God. And so, when Jesus first appears to his new brothers, these guys who had been his disciples for three years, who are now a part of his family as brothers in Christ, or brothers un of, uh, underneath the, the leadership of his heavenly father, they have a job to do. He's going to send them out. And right in the middle of this text, he, he gives us our main focal point, just as the father sent me, so send I you. Now, my first thought, if I was Peter or James or John at this point, was, whoa, hold on a minute. I just saw what happened where the Lord sent you. <laughs> you got crucified. I'm not sure I want to go down that road. But Jesus has already told them that if you choose to follow me, this life's not necessarily going to be easy. You're going to take up your cross daily and follow after me, but it will have meaning. And here's the biggest kicker. It will be eternal as opposed to temporary. So read with me this text. I understand you may have already read it this morning. We're going to read it again. John chapter 20, verse 19. The scripture says, when it was evening on that first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his side, so the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. After saying this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. And if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, called twin, 
one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were telling him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, if I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger into the mark of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will never believe. A week later, his disciples were indoor, indoors again, and Thomas was with them. And even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. Thomas responded to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book, but these are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. I believe that the, the primary focus for Jesus' appearance and connection to his disciples in this text is because he has a purpose and a plan for them. He has come to tell them, I'm sending you out. Now, at this point, they're hiding in the upper room. They have the doors locked. They are shaking. John makes it very clear. They were hiding for fear of the Jews. Now, this is evening, the first day of the week. John, Scripture tells us, John and Peter had already run to the grave, and they'd already seen the empty tomb, and they went back to the upper room. Mary had already come to the grave, seen the empty tomb, went back and got him, and then had seen Jesus and had told them that. So they at least had the witness of Mary at this point that, that Jesus was resurrected, and she had seen the resurrected Lord. And yet they were still cowering in fear, locked in the open room, I mean in the upper room, afraid of the Jews. Now, we would look at that and say, well, wait a minute. If they already have evidence that Jesus conquered death and he rose from the grave, what are they afraid of? Church? If you already believe that Jesus died and rose again and conquered the grave, what are we afraid of? I think one of the biggest mistakes that has been made by the church, and I'm the universal church, and by a whole lot of churches, a lot of local churches, in the last 18 months is we have walked in fear, where you're afraid. Jesus has conquered death. Jesus has conquered the grave. Jesus has, has brought victory. We don't have to walk in fear. Now, does that mean that we do stupid stuff? No. I mean, when I was a kid, I remember thinking when I first heard that verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, I thought, man, I guess if I had enough faith, I could just get up on the roof of the house and jump off. And I could fly if I have enough faith. I was wise enough not to try it. Thankfully, you know, even the Satan tried to talk Jesus into climbing up on top of the temple and jumping off as a test of God. And Jesus was God. I guess he could have done it, but he chose not to. But I want you to see something here. Yes, they were afraid. The first thing Jesus tells them when he comes in the room is what? Peace be with you. The second thing Jesus says to them is peace be with you. And then the next week, when Jesus shows up again, 
the first thing that he says to him is, peace be with you. What I want you to hear is that when you're walking with Christ, you don't have to walk in fear. We can find peace in Christ. And so I want to connect that to the theme of this passage. Jesus has come to commission the disciples, but the first thing he had to do is deal with their fear. They weren't going to fulfill their mission if they were hiding in fear, if they were shaking in their boots, hiding in the upper room. They had to first gain confidence in Christ that he would carry them through. And they, they eventually did. Now, interestingly, that did not mean that they lived lives with no pain, no suffering. In fact, all of these disciples suffered in some way. All of them died a martyr's death, except possibly John, and he suffered greatly. They all suffered, but Jesus was always with them in their suffering. See, here's the bottom line. In life, we will have trouble. Last thing Jesus told his disciples in John 16 headed up to the Garden of Gethsemane. In this life, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. The good news is not that we won't have trouble, that we'll have a trouble-free life that'll all be perfect. The good news is that the Lord of the universe will be with us from now until the end of time, even to the extent that we don't have to face the grave, we don't have to die, because he already did it in our place. So praise God. He sends his disciples out, but he sends them out in peace. He gives them a victory over their fear. He gives them a settleness in their spirit. And certainly, I imagine that's one of the reasons he starts out both times that he appears in this locked upper room by saying, peace be with you. If you're in a locked upper room and all of a sudden somebody that wasn't there is there, that you saw die yesterday, you're going to freak out a little bit too. And, and so you're going to, when Jesus speaks, peace be with you. He, he's not just giving them a command. He's just telling them, I, I'm going to be the one that gives you peace. And then there's, there's one other important connection here. Because these disciples, up until this point, until they, were, they became believers, until Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood and they believed in him. They were separated from God because of their sin. That's the theological background behind this idea of peace be with you. We cannot have peace with God if we're covered in sin and he is holy. We can't stand in the presence of a holy God. We can't exist in the presence of holy, a holy God until our, our soul has been cleansed from our sin. Christians, let me use this as an example, and, and, and I, I don't want to overdo this, but when you're walking in a relationship with the Lord, have you ever been in a position where you walked in a room and one of two things happened? Either you immediately knew that you were in the wrong place because your spirit set off alarms, or somebody immediately lashed out at you or they had issues with you for no reason other than their sin did not agree with the spirit that was in you. See, there, there, there cannot be peace between sin and a holy God unless that sin is dealt with. Now, the disciple's sin had been dealt with on the cross, and so Jesus is able to fully extend to them peace with God. 
You and I will never fully have peace with God as long as we remain in our sin. Now, for if we have never come to that place where we've asked forgiveness of our sin and been cleansed by the blood of Christ, we'll never truly have peace with God. But maybe we've done that. Maybe you've professed Christ and you have, have walked in a relationship with Him, but you've gotten away from Him. And your spirit is a mess because of it. Same thing. If you're walking in sin, your spirit's never going to agree with the spirit of a holy God. So they, Jesus grants them peace with God, replaces their fear with peace, and sends them out in peace. The second thing that I want you to see here is Jesus sends them out under the, in the power of the Holy Spirit. After saying this, down in John 22, after saying this, after saying, peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, so I send you, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Here's the good news, Christians. We're not on our own. We don't have to go out in the world and try to fulfill God's calling or to do all that he's called us to do in our own strength. It is through the power and the presence of his Holy Spirit working in our lives that we even have hope of fulfilling the mission that God's called us to. We, bottom line is we really can't do anything. Now, we know that we can't save ourselves, right? If, if you are a born-again believer, that's one thing you settle. You have to. You have to come to a place where you say, you know, I'm not good enough. I'll never measure up to, to be good enough to go to heaven because of sin in my life, I just can't. I can try hard. I can work hard. I can do a lot of good deeds, but my sin has to be dealt with. doesn't matter how good you are, how, how much money you've given away or how many good deeds you've done. If you have not trusted Christ to forgive you of your sins and the sin has not been dealt with, you'll never be good enough. The only hope that you have is that you're cleansed by the blood of Christ, okay? So, then what we do is we think, okay, now that I'm born again, the language Jesus used with Nicodemus, or I'm saved, the language that Paul used uh, to the church at Rome, uh, I've confessed Christ and he saved my soul. Now that I'm a believer, now that I'm a, a follower of Christ, now I've got to go out there and try really, 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 really hard to do a good, good job. I've got to try real hard to good, do good deeds. Paul told the Galatians that that kind of thinking is foolishness. He said, if you couldn't save yourself, you can't live the Christian life on your own. You've got to trust the Holy Spirit to do a work in you and through you. You live out the Christian life the same way that you became a Christian, by trusting Christ. That's why in Galatians chapter 5, Paul refers to the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of a good Christian. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, those aren't good markers of a good Christian. Those are markers that you surrendered your life to the Holy Spirit and you have received the power of the Holy Spirit is working through you and flowing through you to accomplish His purposes. The way we live out the Christian life ought to be the same way we were born again. I can't. That's what Paul said. Paul said, I can't. There is nothing in me, in, in, in 1 Corinthians 3, there is nothing in me that's sufficient to live out the, the life of Christ. I'm not sufficient, but Christ is sufficient, and with his spirit in me, I become sufficient. So it's through the, the work of the Holy Spirit, because they've received the Holy Spirit, that now they can fulfill the commission that Jesus has called them to. We are sent in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then third, 
we are sent as ambassadors of reconciliation. Now, this is one of the toughest passages to, to work through. And, and Sandra did a good job in the growth group material for our leaders. When Jesus says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Jesus has not given you and I power to forgive sins. But he has placed within us, he, all, he tells the disciples in another passage, he puts it this way, I've given you the keys to the kingdom. The bottom line is, no one is going to put their faith and trust in Christ until someone tells them, until someone takes them the keys. In fact, one of the quotes that, that Sandra used was from Warren Wiersbe when he essentially said, the disciples are not to provide forgiveness, but we are to proclaim forgiveness. See, if you and I as believers who have, who have trusted Christ as our Savior, if we don't tell our family and we don't tell our friends and we don't invite them to a relationship with Christ, they will never know Christ. They'll never have the hope that you and I have. Someone told you. Someone told me. My mom made sure that that I went to church. I had a youth minister who shared the gospel with me. I had a pastor who sat down with me and walked me through Romans 10. That if I'd confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that God's raised him from the dead, I could be saved. Someone was faithful to the gospel to tell me about the forgiveness that I could have in Christ. Without that someone... I would not have hope today. Jesus is telling the disciples, as I send you out in the power of the Holy Spirit, you are my ambassadors. They will not know that their sin can be forgiven if you don't take the message to them. Do you hear that? You know, there's some people in your family, in my family, that are never going to believe, that are never going to truly hear unless you or I tell them. That's just the bottom line. Romans chapter 10, right after that famous passage, Romans 10, 13, that says, if you, if you believe and confess, Romans 10, 14 says, how then can they call on him whom the, in whom they have not believed? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Jesus is sending out his disciples to take the message of forgiveness to all that need to hear it. You and I have been sent by Christ to take the message of the gospel to those who need to hear it. We are not sent in our own strength. We're sent with the peace that we have from God. We're sent in the power of his Holy Spirit, but we are sent, Paul puts it this way in, in 2 Corinthians 5, as ambassadors of reconciliation. He tells us that Jesus' purpose for coming to earth was to reconcile men to God. And now he has given every single one of us that calling. We are called to be ambassadors of reconciliation. If we don't tell them, they won't know. We are sent as ambassadors. We are also sent in faith. 
That's the whole story of Thomas that, that comes up next. Thomas was struggling. Yeah, I think that there's two, two reasons that you and I fail uh, oftentimes to share our faith, to, to share what God has done for us. One of them is fear. We've addressed that already. The other one is simply faith. Do we really believe what we say we believe? Do we believe what Jesus says, that he is the only way to God? He's the only way that someone can have eternal life. See, if we truly believe that Jesus is the only way to the kingdom of God, then we are going to be compelled to tell our loved ones about him. We're not just going to hope that one day we stand by their grave and they figured it out by osmosis. We're going to be compelled to tell them the truth. But we have to be absolutely convinced ourselves that Jesus is who he says he is. If, I, if I'm not convinced that Jesus died for my sins and rose again and he's my only hope of eternal life, I'm not going to tell other people that. And so I have to be rooted and grounded in my faith before I'm going to be useful as a, as a follower of Christ going out to tell others. And that's the struggle that Thomas was having. Jesus had showed up when he wasn't there. Thomas was hiding somewhere else. I wonder, I wonder if Thomas was just afraid, you know what, at least, you know, if there's 10 of them there, there's a better chance they're going to be caught. I'm going to go hide in my own closet. I'm going to go lock myself in my own room. Why do, we don't know why Thomas wasn't there. All the rest of them were there locked in the upper room, shaking and hiding from fear of the Jews. Thomas wasn't even there. He was hiding somewhere else. So the second week, he shows up. And the disciples are telling him, hey, Thomas, hey, Thomas, we saw the Lord. And he goes, I don't believe it. I don't believe a word of it until he shows up here and I put my fingers in his nail-scarred hands. And until I thrust my fist in his side, I ain't going to believe it. Thomas's faith had waned. He'd had enough when he saw Jesus die. He wasn't going to believe this fantasyful tale that, that, that the disciples were trying to tell him. And then Jesus shows up. And I love this. Because, of course, the first thing he does, John emphasized it again, even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. And the, he said it again, peace be with you, because I'm sure they're already upset again. They're freaking out. And look at what Jesus says to him immediately. Very first words out of Jesus, after he says, peace be with you, he looks straight at Thomas, and he says, put your finger here. Put your finger right there, Thomas. That was enough for Thomas. He'd, he'd said, yeah, I got to put my fingers there, and I got to put my fist in his side. He heard Jesus' words, and he knew that Jesus had been reading his mind, or Jesus somehow was listening in a week before or previously when Thomas was, was complaining, when Thomas was unfaithful. But whatever it was, Thomas didn't actually have to put his finger there. He saw it. And he heard Jesus' words. He heard Jesus repeat his words, essentially, and that was enough. From that point forward, Thomas was all in. But notice Jesus' how he finished that statement. After he said, reach out your hand and put it in my side, he said, don't be faithless, but believe. Believe. You know, the, the bottom line is simply this. 
in, in, in our lives, and even as we walk through life, we have to choose to believe. Our faith is being assaulted every single day. There are pastors of what are referred to as megachurches, megachurch pastors who have written books about Jesus, who have come out in, in recent years, and it's become a, a cool, hot trend for some of, the, uh, uh, some of these pastors to come out and deny their faith. They have made a choice that they no longer believe, which makes me wonder if they ever truly believed in the biblical Jesus in the first place. Because one of the connections that you see among these pastors is most of their involvement was not in building the kingdom of God, it was in building their kingdom, their brand, pushing their ideas. Generally, that seems to be an underlying theme. There's going to come a point in every one of our lives, and most of you have made this decision, that, that you decided that you believed that Jesus was who he said he was, he is who he says he is, and he will be who he says he's going to be, and you put your trust in him for your eternal life. And, and you made a, a decision to follow Christ in baptism. You're connected with Christ through that. That does not stop the onslaught of Satan on our minds. He's going to continue to battle us right here where we are and, and, and right here in our heads and bring doubt and, and try to, because if he can make us faithless, then even if we are a child of God, we become useless to the kingdom of God. Jesus simply commanded, don't be faithless but believe. One of the struggles with that is belief in Christ ultimately comes down to a simple choice. You're going to choose to believe that he is who he says he is or you're not. You're going to seek proof. You can seek uh, evidence. But ultimately, you cannot become a follower of an unseen God without some measure of faith and belief. Now, you and I have to make a choice at some point that we're going to believe. There's some of you that, have, that are online, some of you that have been here, that are listening to this message, that you've, you've never settled that. You've never said, yeah, I really believe that the Bible is true, and I believe that God is who he says he is. Without Making that step of faith, that leap of faith, you're never going to be useful for God's kingdom. And in fact, until you take that first step of faith, you'll never become one of God's children because you have to believe in him. You have to trust in him before you can ever enter into his family. Thomas, don't be faithless. Believe. And then finally, we are sent to walk by faith, we're also sent for this purpose, that others might have eternal life. Now, John, here at the end of chapter 20, John gives us what I told you a year and a half ago when we started John was the theme of the gospel of John. The thesis of John is right here. 
John says, Jesus did a whole lot of other things. He performed many other miracles in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. He chose. These things are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. John's purpose for this book was not to give all the details of Jesus' life. John's purpose, the reason that he wrote this gospel, was that you, you might believe in Christ and that by believing in him, you might have eternal life. John accepted the call. Ultimately, that's the commission that we all are given. He is sending us, not so that we can grow our kingdom, not so that we can feel good about, uh, you know, being evangelist or, or so that we can, we can have, you know, some personal gratification. Jesus is sending his disciples out. He's sending us out so that those who are lost and dying in their sin and will spend eternity separated from God can believe and have everlasting life. If you have friends, family, neighbors who right now don't know Jesus, there's no other more crucial time because we have seen it. The last couple of weeks we've seen it where people who were too young contracted a disease and died. We are sent so that others might have eternal life. That's why John wrote the gospel. That's why Jesus died. That's why he rose again. That's why he met with them in this upper room to commission them, to send them out, not in their own strength, not by their own design, but in faith, in the power of the Holy Spirit, that those who are out there dying in their sin with no hope could have hope could have that peace with God that Jesus brought to his disciples. You've been listening to a Sunday morning message from our services here at First Baptist Watauga. Our family's mission is to exalt the Savior, equip the saints, and evangelize the lost. If you want to know more about First Baptist Watauga or need to reach out to us for prayer, go to fbcwatauga.org and let us know. In all things, to God be the glory, honor, and praise.